Hello and welcome to Queen Mary's Legal Bites podcast, based out of Q Legal, an award-winning commercial law clinic. My name is Janvi Mehta. Hi everyone, I'm Sufi Etienne. Janvi and I studied tech, media and telecoms law at QMUL, and today we'll be joined by Julia Honley. Julia Hornley is a professor of internet law with a lot of experience in cyberspace, ODR, and digital rights. Today, we'll be discussing extensively and sharing our thoughts on a bill that has raised a lot of questions, the online safety bill. So, Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I suppose the best way to start this is to consider exactly what the online safety bill entails. Julia, could you explain the purpose of the bill and its main aims and objectives? Its main objectives are kind of on the face of the tin, to make the online space more safe. In many ways, that's a very, very ambitious undertaking, because I think no matter what regulation we introduce, the online space will never be completely safe. And this in a way is recognised by the Online Safety Bill because it does provide provisions on uh, media literacy and basically equipping users with the ability to better fight some of the illegal contents online. Having said that, it is a content regulation bill. So in many ways, it is informed by this idea of a duty of care which should be imposed on social media platforms. To be more precise, there are two particular types of services which are governed, which will be governed by the Online Safety Act once it is in force. It'd be user-to-user services, so user-generated services online, as well as search services. In fact, this remit is quite wide. So in terms of exclusions, it only excludes one-to-one communication such as email, but would include things like Zoom or Teams, in fact. So it covers a great number of platforms, including B2B platforms. Um, So the definition of it is actually very wide. And its main objective really is to impose a duty of care on a number of uh, service providers. In other words, duties of risk assessment, then duties obviously to take measures to meet those risks and implement safety measures. Its focus is not just on illegal content, but also on harmful content, which is basically any content where there is a substantial risk of causing um, material harm uh, to people who interact with that content. So this can cover a wide variety of different laws and regulations and different harms ranging from fighting uh, illegal content, um, weapons, knives, uh, trade, which is happening on online platforms, information about suicide and encouragement of self-harm, which is obviously a huge problem uh, for many, many people. Um, It covers access to hardcore pornography by uh, minors, by under-18s. It covers, of course, illegal pornography, where there is elements of violence and abuse. It covers hate speech, harassment, public order offences, and obviously one of the most serious content offences relating to terrorism and child sex abuse content. It now also covers advertising for scams. So it's a whole range of harms and illegal content which this bill is trying to address. 
Thank you for the insightful introduction into the Online Safety Bill. Whilst the bill can be applauded for attempting to provide more protection for users online, and more specifically, protection for children, it is my understanding that a lot of privacy concerns remain unanswered. Do you think that the current version of the bill goes too far and instead undermines privacy and freedom of expression? It is a very difficult balance. Um, the bill contains specific provisions which also um, encourages, or I should say maybe obliges, user-to-user uh, -user services and search services to, in fact, guard both freedom of expression um, in terms of uh, journalistic content particularly, but also to respect people's privacy. So in many ways, the bill acknowledges that there is a balancing, that there needs to be a balancing between freedom of speech, privacy and the prevention of harms. Um, the, what is the problem, I think, with the bill or with this attempt is the, the huge scope of the bill, because we can think of so many different harmful types of contents and, and behaviours, you know, all sorts of, say, challenges for young people, um, which, which potentially lead to harm. So it's it's the wide scope of the bill, which, which I think is one of the problems. The other problem, of course, is the huge amount of content, the overwhelming amount of content, I should say, which is being shared on these platforms. Um, it's usually measured in, in, in this sort of statistic of X number of hours of content uploaded every single second on YouTube. I think at the moment it's something like 300 hours of content up, uploaded every single second on YouTube. And it's that sheer quantity and variety of content which makes it very difficult to monitor. So, of course, social media companies such as Meta for Facebook or Instagram employs human moderators, or rather they outsource this activity, but they use human moderators, something like 20,000 people worldwide, to constantly look at content which has been complained of and then decide whether to take it down or not. These moderators have something like one second, uh, a split second time to decide whether content should be blocked or whether it should stay up online. And it's, it's therefore a very quick judgment, which obviously affects the, the, the process of balancing freedom of expression, privacy and content moderation. So it's a sheer amount of content, which I think is the underlying problem here. Ultimately, I think this will necessitate a degree of automation. But the truth of the matter is that at the moment there is no artificial intelligence which reliably, for example, can identify hate speech, just as an example. And we don't know whether that will change in 20 years. There's obviously loads of innovation at the moment in the area of NLP, natural language processing, and other technologies which allow a degree of automation of this process of recognizing content as either harmful or illegal. But what we have at the moment is very, very basic and certainly would not allow a complete automation of this moderation process. And I think that's where the greatest danger for freedom of expression and privacy lies. The use of AI, which is obviously sold as an innovative product which solves the problem, but it doesn't always fulfill the expectations. And I think it's very important that the regulator, Ofcom most likely, will 
make this process of the use of technology for automated moderation very transparent and allows for independent testing of this technology in order to guard freedom of expression and privacy. Okay, I think Jean, we raised an important question there with um, freedom of expression, because um, there's this discussion that it would be problematic if only inoffensive speech was deemed worthy of protection as well. So I'm glad you shared your thoughts on that, Julia. But for me, one of the more controversial issues is the category concerning content that is legal but harmful to adults. What does that mean exactly? It's a category that appears quite vague and it's interesting that the culture secretary has the powers to define what this covers after the bill has been passed into law. So what are your thoughts on this? I think that's something uh, which the bill has been criticised. Um, and I guess ultimately we're not sure what the ultimate act will contain. Um, while it makes sense to say, well, illegal content shouldn't appear online, it's much more problematic to say that content, especially content harmful to adults, should not appear. Um, and of course, the approach taken at the moment is a self-regulatory one. So in other words, the online safety bill forces or obliges um, the regulated entities to basically assess the risks to adults from content, from harmful content, and then clearly state in their terms and conditions and their policies what they are going to do about this potentially harmful content and how they are going to mitigate these risks. Um, so it's a purely self-regulatory system. Now, of course, Ofcom um, and also, as you say, the, the Secretary of State will share a certain degree of supervision of this process, which includes the drawing up of codes of conduct, uh, which then the companies should comply with, or they can demonstrate that they have better systems in place than those provided in the codes of practice. But essentially, the codes of practice will set the applicable standard. Um, the problem, I think, is that there is potentially loads of very harmful content, if you think in terms of suicide or self-harm, which is not necessarily illegal. I think the problem also here is that a lot of content which might amount to hate speech is very difficult to classify in terms of the criminal law. The online safety bill now also proposes that we should actually enact new criminal offences in relation to con uh, content which causes serious emotional distress. So it actually widens the type of hate speech which would probably be covered by the criminal law. Um, but I guess there was a feeling which... Uh, it's, it is, it's not something I would share, but there was a feeling that we should go beyond just the criminal law and include other content which is harmful. And as you say, this is a very wide category, um, but ultimately it is part of the risk assessment of search companies. And um, actually, it would, I think it would only apply to user to user, uh, the user to user category, but it ultimately uh, puts the onus on them to do proper risk assessments in this respect. Thank you for that, Professor. I would like to focus more on the role of Ofcom. In terms of enforcement, do you think that it's correct for the bureaucratic burden to be placed on Ofcom to police the bill? So to some extent, this might also be a resource issue. Um, if you think of the power of the companies who are being regulated, like Meta and Google, and in many ways, they will drive the research agenda in this area. And if you compare that power of resources 
to a regulator of an individual state, such as Ofcom, then there's obviously a clear mismatch. Um, so I think to many extent, this, in many ways, this is a question of the extent of resources put in. Um, and while obviously Ofcom will presumably get new staff, um, including obviously data scientists, etc., it will not compete directly with the powers of hiring data scientists, which, which Google and Meta can. And I think this imbalance means that in many ways, this sector, you know, how to regulate content will still be uh, determined in many ways by, by Meta and, and Google. So in terms of enforcement, um, as probably is quite well known now, the Online Safety Bill envisages quite large fines as a sort of maximum penalty. Um, I think at the moment it is 10% of the revenue of a company, which is obviously quite significant. Um, so I guess in terms of enforcement, the interesting question is that Ofcom can't probably enforce against each and every single breach of the Online Safety Act because of the sheer quantity again of and, and variety and diversity. So I guess there will have to be some a strategy in terms of enforcement priorities, which I think at the moment will clearly be in the area of child sex abuse content and terrorism content, probably also some of the uh, public order content. Um, but of course, in terms of the fines, there is a clear deterrence here because of the very large uh, degree of, of fines and also the extraterritorial reach of, of the act. Um, other than that, of course, there is enforcement against various gatekeepers, such as, for example, the uh, hosting providers and the possibility to block a certain service if it breaches uh, the Online Safety Act. And of course, also uh, the, the use of payment services, for example, blocking payment services to uh, certain non-compliant user-to-user services. Um, so, for example, one of the recent things in the news, obviously this is predating um, the online safety bill, but uh, um, the two major credit card networks have actually threatened uh, to stop uh, payments to Pornhub unless Pornhub removes clearly abusive pornography. And as a consequence, I think Pornhub took down more than 50% uh, of its content um, in order to, to ensure that they can still receive the revenue streams via the Visa and MasterCard networks. Um, so I think there is probably enforcement through fines directly against user-to-user -user services or search engines, but there will also be enforcement via other intermediaries, such as hosting providers, uh, blocking of internet access and payment services. But then another criticism that the bill has faced is placing more focus on the size of the platform and less on the risk of the platform. And I, I think it's an important issue because some of the small platforms have these problems. The bill is focused on disinformation, hate speech, etc. So if the small platforms don't fall into category one or into their size, how would the risk be handled? So I guess there was this feeling uh, in government that um, regulation has to be proportionate. So the regulatory burden should be directly proportionate to the size of the company and the resources of the company. And clearly Meta has much more resources than say a very small company. And maybe that approach is, is, is probably correct. But as you say, there's also the question of, of risk. Now, clearly a smaller company might 
you know, especially companies which focus particularly on a particular type of content, such as uh, pornography or um, also hate speech, of course, or even terrorist content, um, they might pose a, a greater risk. But I think that will, I'm not really sure whether in practice that would be such a massive uh, problem, because while there not, might not be um, a category one a company, they're still regulated by the Online Safety Act and have to comply with codes of practice, especially for the most serious types of, of, of content. Um, and they will also be subject to, to the same high fines and deterrence in terms of enforcement. Um, in many ways, the problem is precisely that there's so many different types of content which are included in the bill. So that then raises the question, you know, what, what should be the greatest priority content to deal with first? Because obviously it will take quite a while, given the limited resources of Ocom, to draw up codes of practice and do these risk assessments and to ensure that these companies comply with the codes. And so, so where do you start, right? And I think that's probably one of the issues here as well. This conversation has been insightful and hopefully it gets our minds involved and sparks some thinking concerning the bill because we're all excited to see how that turns out and very interested actually. So thank you, Julia, for sharing your views on the bill and for your time. Thank you, Professor, for your valuable time and views and thank you to our listeners for tuning into the podcast. It was my pleasure to be on the Legal Bites podcast. <laughs>